Good morning. Would you stand as we begin, please, by singing a praise medley.
Well, amen. Such great singing. We can almost say amen and go home. We have worship this morning already. But don't leave yet, if you wouldn't mind. And welcome to First Baptist Church, Sun City West. It is good to have you here this morning and also you that are watching by live stream. Thank you for the time and the opportunity that you've given. I believe with all my heart, if you've prepared your heart, that you will not leave this place without hearing from God. Because there's a lot of preparation and God's Spirit has moved through the course of this week to get us to this place of worship and celebration and the hearing the truth of His Word. If you are a guest today for the very first time, we'd love for you to take the guest card that's in the pew in front of you. Unless you have already spoken with our greeters and already have that card filled out, we'd love for you to, during the service, fill it out, drop it in one of the offering boxes. When, uh, when you leave today, we would certainly appreciate that and like to acknowledge your being with us this next week. As we get ready to pray, we have a lot on our hearts today. We uh, have seen this week in Afghanistan just heartbreak tragedy and the loss of life of both American, American soldiers, as well as Afghans. There is chaos. There is so much going on. And it is a humanitarian nightmare. There are believers in Jesus Christ in Afghanistan right now that have no way to get out. Others are being able to be evacuated in various means. But there is a real threat to each one of those believers who stand firmly for the cause of Christ. And there is a real threat to many other Afghans who may not be believers, but do not hold to the ideology that has taken over that country. And we need to pray. We need to ask God to continue to intervene in this situation. And then we have Hurricane Ida that right at this very moment are, are, is already pouring rain into Louisiana and Mississippi and in that area. By this afternoon or this evening, a Category 4 hurricane is going to hit somewhere over 150 plus miles of sustained winds. You remember 16 years ago today, Katrina hit. There is great possibility of flooding, of the potential death, we just need to ask God again to intervene in the lives of those folks and also to adjust the storm so that it has at its landfall the least possible damage. Those are prayers of intercession that we need to make. There are ongoing prayers with the uh, Delta variant that is uh, certainly uh, having its impact. The economic situation in our country, are you seeing the sense of why we need to intercede. As the family of faith and as the people of God, not only here at our church but across this nation, we must join arms and hands to intercede and be the kind of prayer warriors that God desires us to be. And so I would ask you, individually through this coming week and today, but jointly together as the body of Christ, that we pray for God to intervene. We haven't been overly faithful as a nation but the core, that remnant of believers must stand firm and must pray. So join me if you would. Father, thank you for the opportunity that you've given us this morning. It is with heavy hearts this week and today that we enter into your presence. And Father, you are all-knowing. 
You're the creator of all. You spoke everything into existence out of absolutely nothing. We are your creation, but you've given us the ability to love you because you first loved us. You've given us the ability to intercede and to pray because we are your children, and that's what your heart's desire is. Your son taught us how to pray. And so this morning, with all of these things that I have mentioned, there is great need. And Father, first and foremost, we're not informing you. You already know. What we are asking and letting you know is that we acknowledge these issues. And we acknowledge our failings. And we've come before your presence asking for your divine intervention in each one of these situations. We ask that somehow in some way that God you would bring about good out of very difficult and challenging and at times evil circumstances that come and we know that your word says that you do not keep evil and keep difficult things from coming upon us but you promise to stand with us through them and god that's what we're interceding on behalf of all of these people in all of these places and these situations that god as we stand firm and as they stand firm that you will stand with them God, we pray that you will be with our nation's leadership, that, God, they would seek your wisdom and guidance and not their own. We would ask that, God, you would bring about a spiritual awakening and renewal, that all of these things that are happening to us make us aware and understand that we cannot do it ourselves. We must depend upon you. And, God, we ask faithfully, and fervently for your divine touch and this morning in this time of worship father we're going to sing songs of the faith that are going to be lifted up to you as an aroma of praise become that it comes from the the depths of our heart and father we're going to be talking from your word about the truths of what a god-focused church is all about and Father, we are well on our way to becoming that church. And so this morning we stand before you, praising you and asking you to speak to us through the power of your spirit and through the presence, your presence in our midst. And so today is the day we offer to you. Speak to us, God, and help us to be obedient. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Let's sing. Lord, I lift your name on high. Let's sing together.
Good morning, everyone. Isn't it great to be in the house of the Lord? Will you pray with me this morning, please? Lord, in this special moment of silence, Lord, I just pause to say what a friend we have in Jesus. Lord, renew in us a fire and devotion for feeling others about you. Lord, help us to know your word and allow it to follow our evil. To filter out evil, all in your spirit, to guide us to see the goodness in the, in the situation we are facing. Lord, thank you for the re renewing in Scripture that you're always by our side. And Lord, thank you for giving us hope, even where things seem hopeless. Father, thank you for the loving protection you provide in the storms of our life. And Lord, help us to be the light and the book of birds today. Thank you, Lord, for the, for the uh, beautiful words in the scripture. May we lean on them for help in the future. And Lord, I just pray that, uh, that you be with our pastor, Lord, as he brings your word today. Lord, I just pray for our sick. Lord, we have uh, so many people that's down with the COVID. Lord, we have some that's recovering that are here today. We thank you for that. Lord, I just pray for the uh, people who are in Louisiana facing this terrible storm. To Lord, just uh, to uh, calm the winds, and Lord, the rain that we needed out here, if it be your will, to send out here to uh, do away with our drought and to, to dis distinguish the fires that we got burning here in the West. And Lord, again, I pray for the people in Afghanistan that we will get them out safe, and be, with, be with them, Lord, that the evil one will be controlled and that your will will be done. And Father, as we uh, go through this day, we just thank you for the ones who are here. We ask you for a special blessing to the ones who are here today. And we would just go away and say, what a friend we have in Jesus. And this I say in Jesus' name, amen.
so much, Doyle. With all my heart, I want to love you, Lord. Is that your prayer today? I hope that it is. the instruments playing, I encourage you just to close your eyes and sing to the Lord. In my life, Lord, be glorified. Petitions, no. 
Thank you, choir. If you look on the screen or if you have your Bibles, I just have three verses to look at in three different books as we address the three characteristics of a God-focused church. If you look at Luke chapter 24, verse 49. Jesus said, I'm going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. In Acts chapter 1 and verse 14, they all joined together constantly in prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. And then Revelation chapter 2 and verse 10. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for ten days. Be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give your life as your victor's crown. Join me in prayer, if you would. Father, thank you for the opportunity that we have to look at these passages of Scripture today. Father, there's much for us to consider and much for us to think about. But as the church of the living God, Father, we must stay focused. And our focus must not be the cares of the world. It must be you. And Father, as long as we're focused on you, then we can do everything through intercession and through our action to strive to be your servants in this world that is so challenging and with so many needs that need to be met. And I pray you would help us as we listen today what your word has to say of how we can be a God-focused church. And Father... Help us to focus on you this morning. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. There's a story that's been told through the years about an offering that was taken at a little church in England. As the offering place went past all the pews and all the people gave, all of a sudden, one of the ushers felt this little tugging on his coat jacket. And he looked over and he saw this child. And this child said, Come here. And so, somewhat embarrassed, the usher knelt down to hear what the boy had to say. And he said, would you please put the offering plate on the ground? And the usher thought, well, this is really strange, but the usher did that. And the little boy then stood both feet in the offering plate. What was that boy saying? The boy was saying, I am offering my whole life, not just the coins in my pocket, but my time, myself, my sacrifice to you. That little boy was Robert Moffat. Robert Moffat was a pioneer missionary into Africa. In fact, he was the, the father-in-law of a great 
and well-known missionary to Africa, David Livingston. As you go through and read about Dr. Moffat's life, you find that there were many redeemed characteristics that made him a humble and effective servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Three come immediately to the surface. He was faithful, he was warm-hearted, compassionate, and he was a prayer warrior. I believe with all of my heart that these three biblical characteristics are characteristics that each of us need in our lives and also are characteristics of a God-focused church. And so this morning, I want to spend some time looking at these three characteristics to help us to be as God-focused as we can. First, we find that a God-focused church is a faithful church. If you go back to the Revelation, you find that Jesus said to the church at Ephesus in Revelation 2.10, that, that last part of the verse, be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life, or life as your victor's crown. Faithful unto death. I will never forget, in June 1982, I was being ordained to the gospel ministry at First Baptist Church of Las Lunas, New Mexico. And as we finished that two-hour ordination service, having all of those retired ministers and ministers from the community and deacons come and lay their hands on me, one by one by one. But I will never forget the hands of my father as he put them over my head and he whispered in my ear, be faithful even to the point of death and I will give you the crown of life. To this day, I'll never forget those words from my father. In fact, it has continued to encourage and inspire me throughout my entire life and my entire ministry. And no matter what happens, I remember those words because the calling of Jesus upon the life of a person who becomes a pastor or some other minister, or the calling upon Jesus for every single believer is a calling that each one of us are to be faithful even to the point of death. It is a faithfulness that could lead to death. So what kind of faithfulness is Jesus talking about? Well, if you go back and, and you look at verse 10, you find that Jesus said to this church at Ephesus, you are going to suffer. He said, the, 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 the evil one, Satan, is going to put some of you in prison to test you. You will face persecution. And they did. All through the first century, the church at Ephesus, the people who belonged to that church, they faced persecution. And he was trying to get across to them, listen, it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when, and what will you do? Will you stand firm even in the midst of that? That kind of faithfulness is a complete loyalty and dedication to Jesus Christ. It's a faithfulness that might lead to death. We are privileged to, in our presence today, to have five missionaries that are retired. One of our own, Diana we appreciate your ministry so much over the years. 
and the Olson brought, uh, Olson's brought uh, two missionary couples with us. I won't identify them right now. You can see them afterwards, but they have just moved to the, uh, to the area. They have spent time in Israel, in Africa, knowing what it is to be servants that focus their attention and sacrifice upon Almighty God. But I will never remember at the age of 13, because this is when it became real to me, and I've never forgotten this. My dad was pastoring a small church in Jal, New Mexico. How many of you know where Jal is? Okay, we got four, four or five. Yeah. When we moved to that little community, uh, my, my father had a friend that called him up and said, well, I, I knew that you were sometimes a renegade, but I didn't know you were going to be in jail. <laughs> Jal, age 13. That's when I heard the news about Mavis Pate. Mavis Pate was a foreign missionary, one of our missionaries. She was a nurse. And she was ambushed and killed by the Palestinian Liberation Organization on January 16, 1972. She was a nurse at the Baptist Hospital in Gaza. She was on her way to Tel Aviv to do some business. And then they opened fire and killed her and several others were badly wounded. She had been on the field for eight years helping people in the name of Jesus Christ, leaving the comforts of America to go to a place that was dangerous, a place that needed help. So it could be a calling, and it is a faithfulness that might lead to death. It's also a faithfulness that has no fear of death. A few weeks ago, I spoke about Sam Davis, who was hanged as a spy during the Civil War because he would not reveal the name of the person who had given him secret documents, and he was caught with them. When offered the freedom that uh, if he would just give that name to those officers, he said, listen, if I had a thousand lives to live, I would give them all rather than before I would betray a friend. He wasn't afraid to die. He was faithful to his friend. This is the kind of idea when we talk about a faithful church. That it is, it's a faithfulness that might lead to death. It's a faithfulness not, that is not afraid of death. It's also a faithfulness that lasts till death. Polycarp was the bishop at Smyrna. He was bound to the stake. He was offered his freedom if he would just denounce Christ. Of course, he said absolutely not. And as they lit that fire, and before his death by the burning at the stake, he said, 80 and six years have I served my Lord, and he has never failed me. Should I fail him now? It's also a faithfulness that puts Jesus first. A friend of mine who's a deacon a number of years ago, he was a manager in a company that decided to do some things that he did not feel comfortable with. Biblically, he did not, he could not work there. He had convictions and he said, I, I will not work at a place that is going to go this direction in their business. 
And so he stood up and he said, I choose to resign, and here's why I'm resigning. And he said, I trust the Lord will take care of me. It was a difficult bunch of months before he found another job, but God did provide a job for him. But what he wanted, he wanted to put Jesus first in his life. And the environment was critical for him. So when Jesus says to the church at Ephesus, be faithful unto death, he's also talking to us. Be faithful unto death. That is the kind of faithfulness that we're talking about. And what is that crown of life or the victor's crown? He said, be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown or the life of the victor's crown. In those days, the crown is a, was a, a garland of laurel leaves given to the victor of the ancient Olympic Games. It was the prized possession. As we look at it in our language today, it would be the gold medal of the Olympics. It is the, the, the highest recognition. He says, listen, if you will be faithful unto death, I will give you the highest honor. It is the well done, good and faithful servant of Matthew. He says, you have finished well. You've lived your life well. You've been obedient to me. Not only is it a faithfulness to death, but it's also faithful through our dedication. You know, there's more to faithfulness than just not denying Jesus Christ. The words teach dedication in the face of opposition. You know, some Christians will say, hey, compromise, adjust to the world and fit yourself into its programs and its strategies just so that you can get into a position to try to win some to Christ. And they will allude to what Paul had to say when he said, you know, I, I become all things to all people so that I might win some. Paul had a very different idea. He was not going to compromise the truth in order to try to win some. But there are believers who will say, you know, just compromise. Just change your, your attitude. Fit in. Don't stand out. The Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 17, that first part, he said, Therefore, come out from them and be separate, says the Lord. He's quoting Jesus. Jesus said, let's come out. Let's be separate from the world. Don't, don't just mesh into the world. You've got to stand firm. So how do we do that? Again, I want to go back to the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew Chapter 5, verses 13 through 16, Jesus said, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer any good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under the foot of men. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone who is in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father who is in heaven. That tells us how we're to be dedicated. We need to be, to be faithful through our dedication. That means to be the light of the world, to do everything we possibly can for folks to realize the reason that we're the way that we are today is because Jesus is alive and well in our lives, and he is first. Dedicated people are inspired by their intimacy with God, not other people. 
We're not supposed to be groupies, okay? The eloquence of the speaker or the amazing range of a singer can bring emotions and excitement for the moment, but those kinds of things can fade. You see, it's the Spirit of God who will bring us to the very presence of God. And that's going to impact us, that's going to inspire us for the rest of our lives. You see, we ought to be inspired by God through Jesus Christ and the power of the Spirit inside of us. He can use preachers and He can use singers and He can use others, but our focus must be and our dedication must be on God alone and not others. Matthew 10, 34, Jesus said, Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace but a sword. Not a lot of folks like to hear that because they like the idea of peace and unity. The idea that he's getting across here is the idea of cutting up or stirring up. He came to stir things up. He didn't come in that day and time to try to bring everybody together. What he came for is to help people understand that there is only one truth and there is only one God and there is only one way to that God because we are all sinners and that's going to be through his blood, his sacrifice, his death, burial, and resurrection. And so, for example, the preacher is not just to swoon the congregation using cliches or catchphrases that are, are saying things that just kind of whisper or tickle their ears. That's not the idea of what a, what a preacher does when he strives to preach the truth. Adrian Rogers said a number of years ago at a pastor's conference, he said, your task is to say what the Lord says. It's not your job to make it palatable. You're not called to fill a pew, but to fill a pulpit and preach the gospel. There's no way to preach the gospel truth and be loved by everyone. In the Bible, anyone worth anything had enemies. <laughs> Listen, when you preach the truth, or as a believer in Jesus Christ, when you live the truth, not everybody is just going to come around and just love you. There are going to be people that are going to back away from you. And yet, he calls us to be dedicated in that kind of way. You are responsible to be the salt and the light. You know, salt, when it's put in a wound, can, it can kind of hurt. <laughs> that happens sometimes. But we're to be the light. And so you're responsible to, do, to be dedicated to God and let God and your intimacy with God inspire you and help you to grow into the depth of your understanding and knowledge. Experience God and let Him inspire you. A faithful, dedicated, loyal church. If we have those qualities, we'll be God-focused. Secondly, a God-focused church is a warm-hearted church. You know, a warm-hearted church must be spirit-filled. Jesus said in Luke chapter 24, verse 49, I am going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. There's that word power, dunamis. It means a spirit-filled kind of power experience. It's not an emotional experience. 
The power Jesus is speaking of here builds churches and matures believers in him. And you know that power did come at Pentecost and in those days thereafter, in fact, to the point where Acts 4.4 says, but many who heard the message, talking about the power of the message, of the movement of God's Spirit, so that the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. We talk about the Holy Spirit or the Spirit-filled church. We're not talking about people that do things that just uh, are emotionally related. It is a power-packed force through the power of the Spirit that enables us to do more than we could ever do on our own two feet or with our own intelligence or with our own actions. <laughs> you see, here's the main idea. The Holy Spirit is available. The church needs the Holy Spirit. We need to let the Spirit of God so move in and around us and through us that together we understand what the greatest and greatest mission is. Jesus stated in John 14, 16, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. That word advocate is also translated comforter. It means one called alongside to help carry the load. The Holy Spirit came to live inside of you when you gave your life to Jesus Christ. That is that advocate that he was talking about. And that advocate, the Holy Spirit, he is inside of you, and he, he will speak to you, he will help you, he will guide you, he will encourage you, he will stand with you in tough times. If you will listen to him, he speaks truth, absolute truth. And it's truth of the body of Christ. If we're a spirit-filled church, that means that it's full of spirit-filled people because we are the church, not the building. And if the Spirit is moving in our midst, then we are listening to what God wants us to do to accomplish the desire of His heart. He has for us as a church and as individuals the one called alongside to help carry the load. A Spirit-filled church is also a friendly church. Acts chapter, uh, in part, Acts chapter 2, verse 42 says, they devoted themselves to fellowship. That Greek word for fellowship is that beautiful word called koinonia. It means every individual has such a burning desire and a burning love for Jesus Christ that it overflows to everybody else. There's no kicking around, there's no sad faces, you know, there's no grumpiness. It is a movement within God that says the koinonia, koinonia within the body of Christ. That it, we are so excited to be here as the body. We're so excited to work together, so excited to accomplish things that God wants us to do, that we have this sweet, sweet fellowship. A spirit-filled church is going to be a friendly church. And it carries over because I'll tell you this. If there are some of the folks within the body that are spirit-filled and they just, they're warm and they just, they just have this burning desire and compassion to just love people and do the things that God wants us to do, it carries over and it starts to, it starts to build a fire. What's the old song? It only takes a spark to get a fire going. Yes. This idea of being a friendly church, it's not just friendly like, hey, how you doing? It's far deeper than that. The early church had that. They had the Spirit of God moving in them in these, those early days. And the, the Bible says that the people around the world saw how they loved one another. That, that's what we're talking about here with a Spirit-filled church. 
You know, people don't know how to describe that experience many times when they come into a church that is spirit-filled. They say, you know, isn't that a friendly church? That's how they describe it. What they really mean is there is a warmth of the presence of God in this place. A God-focused church is a warm-hearted, spirit-filled church. Third, a God-focused church is a praying church. Acts chapter 1 and verse 14, it says they all joined together constantly in prayer. Those were some very interesting days in Acts chapter 1. The question that I have is, are we a church that prays or are we a praying church? You say, well, pastor, those are semantics. No. No, they're vastly different. You see, a church that prays is a church where people do, seriously and genuinely, they say words to God. They they have prayers directed toward God. The emphasis is on praying. We're going to take our 15 minutes. We're going to take this time or that time. and, And it's more surface related, but we do what we're supposed to do in the realm of praying. That's a church that prays. But a praying church is one that reaches to the very depth of the heart of God by paying the necessary cost. That cost is repentant dedication constantly asking god god is there something in my life that is be becoming an obstacle so that i can't connect with you the way that i should in my prayer time in depth in my fervency in the amount of time i spend together you see here the emphasis is on fervently connecting with god on a on a deeper and more personal level and that doesn't happen in five minutes or ten minutes that is a time that really we spend with God. You know, if you, if you had somebody that you wanted to befriend, how close would you get if you spent five or ten minutes every day with them? Five or ten minutes. How deep could you get? Not, not real deep. You'd be friends. It's kind of like a neighbor. You know, we're talking to our neighbors and we say, hey, how you doing? You know, how's your life today? You know, what's going on? And we go in our house, and the next day we go out and get the paper, and we say, hey, how you doing? That conversation, it's not going to get real deep. You'll get to know them to some degree. But how about if you spend an hour every single day with someone, or two hours? How much would you get to know? How deep would you begin to share your hearts and your, your hurts and your pain, your suffering, as well as the joys and the triumphs in your life? You would, you would become very close. That's what we're talking about with being a praying church is spending the time before God getting to know the one who created us the one that we're going to worship for eternity spending more time with him here while we're here January 28 1990 I was pastoring a church in Roswell New Mexico Calvary Baptist Church. Our church had had some friction, and uh, I decided to call a day set aside for prayer and spiritual awakening, a solemn assembly. And so I got up that morning, we, we sang our songs that were focused, our, our staff shared testimonies, I shared my heart with the congregation, and I tell you what, it was such a, God's presence was there. I gave the invitation, and before I could get the three steps down to the, to the floor, 
The invitation was basically this. Listen, if you have something against someone or someone has something against you today, from everything you've heard and listening to God, you need to make that right. We'd had prayer, a time of prayer altar. I mean, it, you could just sense God moving. And before I could get down those three steps, there were 200 people in that congregation that were moving. It's like looked like ants <laughs> going all over the place. And it was amazing how people were going to each other, praying, asking forgiveness and forgiving and praying in there. I mean, I didn't, I didn't leave until after 1 o'clock. The great place to go after church in, in Roswell in that day and time was First Cafeteria. Before I even left the church, man, news had, had already spread to First Cafeteria that Calvary Baptist Church had had this amazing spiritual movement. And you know what? That church was never the same. For five years, what we saw in that church were benefits and miracles that took place. In the community, they said, Calvary Baptist Church, if you want prayer, that's the praying church not just a church that prays. You see, I think that as a church, we need to be a praying church. We need to, to go to a place where we spend and we count the cost. A prolific uh, evangelist and author, Leonard Ravenhill, wrote a number of years back, the church has many organizers, but few agonizers. Many who pay but few who pray. Many resters, but few wrestlers. Many who are enterprising, but few who are interceding. People who are not praying and praying. The secret of praying is praying in secret. A worldly Christian will stop praying, and a praying Christian will stop worldliness. Ties may build the church, but tears will bring it to life. And that is the difference between the modern church and the early church. In the matter of effective praying, never have so many left so much to so few. Brethren, let us pray. The secret to spiritual awakening and being a spirit-filled church and being dedicated and faithful to God comes to this point, and that is our dedication to prayer. A praying church pays the price to effectively intercede. The story is told of a young girl who said, uh, I say young girl, she was a young adult. She, she said, Lord, today I am not going to ask anything for myself. I specifically am going to intercede and pray for others. And so she did. And she prayed. And she prayed fervently. And the last prayer that she prayed in this prayer was, and God, please give my mother a handsome son-in-law. Listen, making the sacrifice of time and passion and the depth of our prayers is going to give power to intercede. It's going to give us the power to go before God with confidence, to boldly go before Him and to pray on behalf of others. Not just to pray and intercede, but to fervently intercede. And you know, that's the basic obligation that I have as a follower of Jesus Christ. And at the same time, it is the basic obligation and the source of power for the body of Christ. 
we must be a praying church. Why? Well, the church needs intercession. James 5.16 says, pray for each other. We need to pray for each other. The idea is, listen, the devil is certainly more powerful than I am. But if I put myself and Jesus at the center, and together we go into that, that warfare, that spiritual warfare, and go to God in prayer, let me tell you, Satan is going to run. He's going to hightail it out of there. And we need to do that and intercede. I'll never forget Miss Mildred Prince. She was a pastor's wife in the very first church that I pastored. I was, for two years, I was flying back and forth from, uh, from Fort Worth, from, from Dallas to Albuquerque. And those two years, uh, while I was pastoring there, I was there on the weekends or three days out of the week and finishing my master's degree. And uh, Miss Prince would come up to me when I'd come in. And she'd say, Kirby, did you by chance have a difficult time? Or were you going through something on, let's just say, Tuesday you know, around this time? And I said, about that? And I said, oh, yeah, yeah, I can tell you what was going on there. And she knew. And she interceded for me at those times. She sensed when I had needs, and she would be on her knees praying for me. I tell you what, those are the people you want as your very best friends. <laughs> and therefore, we need to be those people to others. Because we need to pray for each other. And also, I will tell you that the lost... They need our prayer of intercession. You ought to have a list of people that are lost that you pray for every single day. I'll never forget back a few years ago. It's been a good deal of time now. I got on this Southwest Airlines flight from Albuquerque to El Paso, and I, I got the middle seat. I was a little smaller back in those days. And I uh, got in that middle seat, and there was this young cowboy on my left-hand side, and there was this young serviceman on my right-hand side. And so I thought, well, got a 45-minute flight. I think I'm going to talk to this uh, serviceman about Jesus. And so I did. I went through the plan of salvation. He listened intently. And I asked him, I said, do you want to give your life to Jesus? And he said, absolutely. So we prayed, and he asked Jesus to come into his heart. And I looked at him, and I said, now listen, your first job right now is that I want you to pray right now as I talk to the cowboy over here. And so he did, and I talked to the cowboy, and this cowboy, he, he uh, listened intently, and he thought through what I was saying as we talked about the scripture, and I said, would you like to ask Jesus to come into your heart? And he said, you know, I think I would. And so we prayed and asked Jesus Christ to come into his, his uh, he asked to, uh, Jesus to come into his life. And then the three of us, on the few minutes that we had left, we all talked together. You, it was as vastly different. You know, this cowboy over here and this serviceman here, young, just getting into the, into the military at Fort Bliss. But what a time of fellowship. And I can tell you, that's never happened to me since. But this guy, after he came to know Christ, understood the first obligation that he had, and that was to intercede. And he did. And it works. Three characteristics of a God-focused church. Faithfulness, meaning dedication and loyalty to God. 
being warm-hearted, that is spirit-filled, and being a praying church, a church that intercedes seriously. Those three characteristics. Let me tell you, First Baptist Church, Sun City West is well on our way. With our prayer chain that has some 285 people, our, our units on there, when needs come through, man, immediately we have a whole group of folks that are praying. Right around a, a hundred and, I don't know, five hours of the week are being prayed for by about 95 people in this church. That many hours during the week, an hour that has been scheduled for them is their hour and they intercede in that time. We, we are making great progress. Plus, all of us who are praying on a daily basis, my encouragement to you is that we're making good progress. Let's just keep doing it. And let's do it even more fervently. And let's be the kind of church that always focuses our attention on God. And these characteristics will help us to do that. And we will be the salt and the light that God wants us to be right here in this area. And listen, well beyond. And I'm wondering this morning if you might commit yourself to say, you know what, God? These three characteristics, I want to be even better at them. I want to commit myself even more to, to have these characteristics in my life because if all of us do that, guess what? Then our church does that we're interdependent on each other this is a church that should feel like home because we're family everything that somebody else does and it impacts everything else this morning we ask God to lead us to be that kind of church and that kind of person father in our invitation time we specifically ask you if you would just speak to us in areas that we need maybe to be stronger and help us as a church family help us God to be focused on you more than anything else so that your presence is felt here not in a feely emotional feeling but to the very rock of our foundation that God your presence is here and help us to be a part of that. So God, this morning, for anyone who needs to give their life to Christ or rededicate their life to come and be a part of this church, we ask them to come. But most importantly right now is our time with you individually. And so as we sing, Father, speak to our hearts and please listen as we speak back. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Let's stand and sing our invitation hymn. I'll be here at the front. You come as God leads you to.
ahead and be seated if you would. Thank you for taking the time this morning to come, and I hope you've been blessed today. Personal preparation as we come to worship is so vital, and God will speak to us in that way. It's good to see George and Mary back. You're doing so much better, and we're thankful for that. Thankful for that. There are probably others that I might be.